It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hey, Benchmark listeners. It's Scott Landman here. Just a quick note before we start the show. This episode covers Turkey's recent economic woes, It's a fast-moving story, and after recording our interview for the episode, news broke that Qatar has promised to invest $15 billion in the country to help pull it out of its financial straits. While we don't go into that matter on this podcast, that move could help alleviate Turkey's financial crunch, but it probably won't solve the bigger challenges facing Turkey. To hear more about those bigger themes, keep listening to this episode, and thanks. When a country's currency is plunging in value and inflation is soaring, there's a standard playbook for what policymakers should do about it. You have to swallow your medicine and raise interest rates really, really high. In Turkey, the lira has lost 40% of its value this year, the most of any emerging market. Yet its strongman leader, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, says lower interest rates actually bring down inflation. Is it possible that he's right and this will all blow over? Or is the world staring down the barrel of the biggest financial crisis in a decade, one that has major geopolitical implications as well? Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. This week, we turn to Turkey, where things are moving fast, and it's good to have someone there to help us sort through everything that's happened and even maybe help us figure out what's going to happen next. Owner Ant is a reporter for Bloomberg News based in the nation's capital of Ankara, where he's had a front row seat to the financial and economic turmoil there. Owner, welcome to Benchmark. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Owner, could you just tell us why Turkey's currency is collapsing and why inflation is soaring? Well, the most obvious trigger for the latest round of lira weakness has been the spat with the U.S. over the continued detention of an American pastor, Mr. Mr. Andrew Bronston, uh, in Turkey, who spent nearly two years in a jail here in Turkey over charges related to espionage and terrorism. Having said that, the problems of the Turkish currency, the lira, is more complicated and fundamental than just what the U.S. spat is all about. Uh, Turkey has a large current account deficit, which is seen expanding to 6.4% of its economy by the end of this year. And the fact that Turkish non-financial and financial companies have quite a bit of repayment to do over the next 12 months, and foreign exchange are the key vulnerabilities of the economy. That is causing pressure on the currency at times of stress, such as the current one. 
And isn't this also due to, you know, let's say a non-traditional policy approach by President Erdogan and who controls the central bank right now? Let's put it this way. The unorthodox uh, policy approach that Erdogan has to economy in general and monetary policy in particular definitely has a role to play in what's happening to the lira and to inflation in general. Now, although the Turkish Central Bank is independent and is free to use its monetary policy instruments to achieve its targets, we know that the bank has long been criticized for failing to use its instruments freely under pressure from politicians, led by President Erdogan. As you have said earlier, President Erdogan believes that lower costs of borrowing will just result in a lower rate of consumer inflation. Now, that's really an extraordinary idea in the sense that it goes against the mainstream economic thinking. Normally, higher lending costs should result in slower credit growth and slower demand growth which should result in a slower rise in consumer prices. But for Erdogan, that doesn't seem to be the case. So where are Turkey's interest rates right now? The average cost of funding that the Turkish Central Bank provides is now just around 17.75%, which equals its benchmark policy rate. Now, there might be some small minor volatility, some small variations from day to day, But this is Turkey's interest rate, and it's about five percentage points higher than where the rates were at the beginning of this year. And where do analysts and economists think that interest rates should be in order to better address the the issues that we've been discussing? It's a very difficult question to answer for a few reasons. And the first and, and most important one is the fact that traders and analysts and investors that we're speaking with around the world have been telling us that it is impossible, nearly impossible, to fix the problems facing the Turkish lira at the moment with a monetary policy action alone because of the complexity and the gravity and the magnitude of the problems facing Turkey's economy. It would probably take more than just the central bank action to fix the problems of the lira and stabilize the currency. And what other actions would those possibly be? Investors believe for Turkey to be able to stabilize the lira, first of all, it needs to augment any monetary tightening with lower government spending. Without meaningfully tightening the fiscal policy, analysts and investors believe that there's going to be a continued inflationary pressure that will make it really difficult for policymakers to rein in consumer prices. Owner, can you tell us a little bit about how this is all affecting the average citizen in Turkey? Are, are they paying a lot more for uh, goods or their daily lives right now, or has it not really gotten to them yet? The recent depreciation in the currency has yet to feed into consumer prices. Uh, on a meaningful scale. However, having said that, because of the fact that the lira lost about a quarter of its value in just about two weeks, there's going to be 
a spillover impact very soon. Based on studies by the central bank and others who monitor the Turkish economy, we know that most of the spillover takes place in the first two months following the episode of depreciation. So Turkish consumers are definitely being hurt by what was already a high level of inflation rate, but they have yet to feel the pain from the most recent episode of Lira weakness. That brings me to our next question, which is that the big news, as we're talking right now, is that President Erdogan has announced that Turkey will boycott iPhones and all other American electronics. Is that going to cause some more pain for people in Turkey, or is that really just kind of a a show that Erdogan is making, that he opposes America's actions on this and, and what President Trump has done to raise tariffs on Turkish metals? It certainly has a symbolic value for President Erdogan. On the other hand, it is going to change things for Turks who are willing to abide by Erdogan's call to boycott American electronics. Now, on the one hand, obviously, it would be difficult to say goodbye to your iPhone if you're really addicted to it. But on the other hand, uh, the alternatives that Turks have, such as the Korean-made Samsung that Erdogan cited in his speech, or Turkish equivalent of iPhone, it actually wouldn't cost consumers more. It would instead cost less. Now, how do you define pain for consumers really is the answer to your question. People may be paying less, but will they really be happy with something that they had to basically throw away because of a call by the president, which they do not have to abide by, but they may choose to do so. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So, owner, you've spent some time covering some major international meetings like the International Monetary Fund and the Group of 20, which was just in Turkey not too long ago. How do you expect these organizations, you know, these these global policymakers to react and deal with Turkey's situation in the coming months? Is there any chance, for instance, that the IMF would consider a bailout for Turkey if things got really bad? I think a precondition for any possible IMF bailout would be a request by the Turkish government uh, to the to the Washington-based lender. Now, as far as we know, there has been no such request made to the IMF uh, as recently as today. Not only that, President Erdogan has repeatedly rejected the notion that Turkey would be forced back to the IMF for any international bailout package. Now, what what does that really mean for the relationship between Turkey and the IMF? It's a tricky question. Turkey has lived with the IMF reality for decades, and its most recent standby agreement ended less than a decade ago, and the last time Turkey repaid an installment on an early IMF loan was just five years ago. But for Erdogan, IMF bailout and IMF programs are just part of what he calls is tutelage. Or, in other words, he sees any engagement with those institutions and organizations uh, in the form of a loan 
he sees them as bowing to an instrument of international exploitation, so to speak. So it's right now, as things stand, it looks very unlikely for President Erdogan to order his bureaucrats to get in touch with the Washington-based lender so that Turkey can get some money. And in fact, to be honest, and this comes from the various official and both Turkish and international officials that we speak with, although Turkey does have funding needs, it does not have the kind of funding shortage that would force it to seek such rescue package to begin with. And in any case, I just read a note from Berenberg Bank economist Mickey Levy saying that President Trump would by no means support a bailout uh, for for Turkey anyway, given that this is coming from a dispute between the United States and uh, Turkey. So it's probably a moot question uh, anyway. And on that note, let's just talk about the broader situation in the world. There was some concern last week when this situation really blew up with Trump's tariffs on Turkey, and it looked like there might be some contagion to emerging markets that we might have something that resembled, say, the Asian financial crisis of the late 90s, uh, maybe maybe not as bad as the global crisis a decade ago, but still something that was starting to look bad why will there or will there not be a spreading of this budding crisis to other countries? Is this something that's likely to be confined to Turkey, or could it spread? Judging from the history, we know that the Turkish currency does have an impact on other EM currencies in the sense that whenever it comes under pressure, similar amount of pressure built on some of the other EM currencies, such as the South African rent. So that's a risk to keep in mind. Something even more important is the exposure of international banks to Turkey's local banking sector, especially that of the European banks. We saw from data provided by different financial organizations earlier this week that European banks' exposure to Turkish local market is so huge that it is actually considered to be a possible source of a risk in the case of added pressure in Turkish economy. In fact, last week, the FT reported that European Central Bank is concerned about the exposure of at least a couple of European banks, namely BMP and, and BBVA of Spain. So there is certainly a risk out there, a risk of contagion, how much it really is and how seriously it, is, it should be taken, I guess it's going to be something that people will try to answer going forward. Because right now, there doesn't seem to be an imminent huge amount of risk. Well, owner, this story is obviously far from over and something we're going to be watching closely, of course, at Bloomberg. And I will personally be reading your coverage very closely and that of your colleagues in Turkey. So, uh, owner on of Bloomberg News, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Benchmark today. Thank you, Scott. It was great to be with you here. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. 
And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Scott Landman and owner, our guest is at Ankara Wonk. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.